are listening to Talks for Change, a podcast series which aims to share innovative ideas that inspire across various disciplines whilst celebrating achievements and ideas from Curtin University's Young Alumni community. This podcast, along with the Young Alumni program, is really special because it's for Young Alumni by Young Alumni. We hope you enjoy this month's episode. Hello everyone, my name is Milan Matthew and I'm the Programs Coordinator for the Young Alumni Advisory Board, aka the YAB. And I'm stoked to be yet again hosting for you for this month's episode of Talks for Change. Our guest today is Abdullahi Alam. Abdullahi graduated from Curtin with a Bachelor of Actuarial Science in 2013 and currently leads Africa and Middle East at the Global Shapers Community, an initiative of the World Economic Forum. Abdullahi was conferred the Young Leaders Award by Queen Elizabeth and was also WA Young Australian of the Year in 2017. Hello, Abdullahi, and welcome to Talks for Change. Hi, Milan. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being on the series. It's an honor to have you uh, to talk to me and the wider Young Alumni community. So before we get to talking about the work that you're currently doing and have been doing for some time, could you talk to us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Awesome. And, and, and let me just maybe purpose that by saying I'm really excited to, uh, to, to be speaking to a, uh, a body of students and alumni, particularly from Curtin University, because I think at least from my experience, I found this to be a university that was certainly racially diverse, ethnically diverse, religiously diverse. And so even when, you know, uh, you know, you've just asked the question to tell me a little bit more about myself and my background. My response is certainly rooted in my own, you know, religious and, um, and ethnic kind of expressions too. So my name is Abdullahi. And for those who yes. don't know the translation of the name, it means servant of God in, in Arabic. And you can take that to mean, you know, servant of the universe. I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be uh, in a religious context as such. Yes. But for me, when I'm asked to tell a little bit more myself, I have to say I am definitely a young person who's still a work in progress. I'm still trying to figure out, you know, the best version of myself. And I, and I truly believe that that best version is very much rooted in the origins of my name, which is the best version of myself comes out when I am able to submit to a higher purpose, to a higher calling, uh, regardless of where it, it tends to take me. Now, at this very stage of my life, it's taken me from Perth all the way to, to <laughs> Geneva. Yes, but and, and I'm very grateful for that, and and I and I certainly don't want to take uh, from that experience. But I have to also say that I'm incredibly agnostic to you know my job, my industry, or anything like that. I think for me, my greatest accomplishments in life will definitely come when I'm rooted in my own cultural background, which is very much embodied by my name. So when I'm able to submit to that higher will. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Um, and we uh, yeah, completely understand, uh, you know, being rooted in, in your background and where your origins lie and where you start from. But starting from your name, how early did that influence you as, uh, as far back as when you were a child? Or is that something later? I mean, I think it's certainly something that colors your formative years. But I think it's a realization that that's only certainly come into, you know, in, in my adolescent years. And so at least for me now, what does, where has that taken me? I now am based in Geneva. I work for the World Economic Forum. Yes. Um, and here I have, you know, the wonderful opportunity to work with a number of, let's say, the top CEOs, the top kind of heads of states, the top kind of fill in the blank of any kind of sector you could imagine, 20 yes. years in advance. So I'm working with them while they're still in their formative, 
you know, years in their twenties, in their early thirties. And I think it's such an incredible, uh, first of all, time walk, but also just the opportunity to see where people start before they kind of have become that overnight success is, is phenomenally humbling, but also the opportunity to work with them uh, to make sure that they have the right values, the right kind of um, outlook on life. So that once they do take on these positions of influence and power later on, that they do value, you know, things like equity, things like inclusion, uh, all of which again are rooted in the things that I'm uh, very passionate about as well. That's great. Yeah, that's very, very interesting for you to be involved at that earliest stage as the, of, of their personal and professional development. That's really, really cool. So I guess now we can come to a big part of what uh, I'd like to talk to you about today. So the the journey to getting into World Economic Forum, how did that come about? So in 2016, at the time, I worked on an initiative called the Lighthouse Strategy, and this was uh, something that I had registered as a as a business in uh, in Western Australia. Sure. And really, the aim was to mobilize young people, teams of young people, under this kind of hackathon format, yes. to better understand social issues and to, if they can, and and it wasn't necessarily always the case that we we push them in this direction, but if they can, they can also attempt to try to develop early stage, very early stage. Uh, solutions to that. So whether it be, you know, focused on online hate speech or um, one of the aspirations to kind of tackle indigenous uh, disadvantage, you know, the, the spectrum of the social issues were quite wide and diverse, but really, again, just premise in this idea that bringing together diverse teams of young people, um, equipping them with subject matter experts, um, and, and that kind of learning so that they can be kind of brought up to speed with just the complexity of the issues that they're addressing. Yes. Uh, took maybe spanned over like a six week period. And then maybe that was then followed by a three day hackathon where they then attempted to develop some kind of early stage solution. Now, from that, I, I applied to attend uh, the annual meeting in Davos, which yes. is the World Economic Forum's uh, uh, meeting that they host every January. And this is where they convene all the heads of states, all the CEOs, I mean, a number of you know, celebrities also go there. Absolutely. Every major media. Um, Player is also there too. So it's really a who's who of uh, the global power scene. Yes. And they have a quarter each year for global shapers, um, the young kind of uh, people. And I was a member, in fact, of the Global Shapers Network in Australia. And so I applied to attend this event. Um, I had an opportunity to even speak on that uh, event. And I think it was really through there that I had a better understanding of the institution, better understanding of the organization as well. And uh, it was really just my maybe fortune or, you know, I mean, whatever you would like to call it, but months down from that experience, I then saw an opening and, you know, it took a lot of <laughs> overcoming, you know, a lot of imposter syndrome for me to really put forward that application. And so I always actually just say, and, and maybe this is a point to also specify to the alumni watching, Yes. like put yourself out there. You never know what the world will present back to you, but don't necessarily disqualify yourself from the get go. Let others disqualify you if they need to. But always see that you put yourself forward for any and as many opportunities as you can. If it's not for you right now, it just simply means not for you right now. Keywords, right now. And so I took the chance. I applied. I was quite surprised that they then called me for an interview maybe a week after that. And it was quite a competitive interview process in that there were about seven or eight rounds. Oh, and wow. yeah, fortunately for me as well, I was traveling, to be honest, for much of that uh, period of time. And so I think 
I wasn't so focused, let's say, as much <laughs> on you know the outcome of that interview because there were other things that I was uh, maybe attending to at the time. Yes. And so you know, it would it'd be between you know running in an airport trying to take one other interview or like as I just check into a hotel taking another interview. And after a while, yeah, it really just becomes a series of conversations, and you don't really become as connected to the outcome. Yes. Um, then fast forward a few months after that, they they, they called me to come to Switzerland uh for an interview and it, I, to be honest even at that stage i wasn't really thinking i'm going to get the job i'm just thinking i'm continuing a series of conversations that we've had <laughs> that were very interesting at least for me and if they want me they, they will take me if they don't that's also fine i'll, I'll you know I'll, I'll, I'll keep going with what i was doing that's an interesting um, way yeah, of putting, to, thinking about it to take the stress off you exactly no and i think um yeah it really is one of the best ways to look at things which is don't be too married to the outcome give it your best give it your all but don't necessarily associate yourself too much to that outcome because, you know, whether you get it or not, see, if you get it, you won't really be able to enjoy it too much because you've already invested in the thought of getting it for so long. So when it does happen, it's really not even as large as it probably and profound as it could be. If yes. you don't get it, it ends up having disastrous consequences. So neither one of those approaches, which really, you know, thinking of it as the goal, the outcome to that extent is really a, you're coming from a place of fear, a place of even just ego. Yes. I think when you try to rid yourself of those anxieties, you're able to bring the best part of yourself forward. And if it works, it works. If it's not, it just means at that particular time, it wasn't. So maybe yeah. down the track, you'll, you'll be able to reap the benefits of it um, and in much more meaningful ways. True, true. Sorry, I apologies. I interrupted you earlier. So you were saying you had the series of interviews and then you were called to yes. Geneva? Yeah, and so, so I was called to Geneva. And again, like at that point, I was between the UK, the US, and I'm traveling back to uh from san francisco to perth i was in perth for a day then went from perth to geneva which was unfortunately the longest route possible to oh. to to get to geneva yes um so I, in all honesty i was quite jet lagged anyway so i i prepared for that interview but for me i just saw it as like a free trip <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to switzerland uh, and i think i just kind of took it as such i had a great conversation i went back to perth and i think Really, I, I left that conversation thinking, you know, if anything, I'm going to take this as just one more validation of um, the fact that what I have to offer is meaningful to the larger world. To think that I could get through this many rounds of applications as I think 23-year-old, 24-year-old at the time yes, um, at an organization of this stature. I think for me, I just took it with that. And of course, to my surprise, really to my absolute surprise and to the surprise of my family and friends. They then called me to say, you know, we'd like for you to start, you know, in 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 X months. So yeah, it wow. was it was it was amazing. That 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 is really really cool, and it's a really great story. There's a few things about the work that you're doing at World Economic Forum uh, that I'd like to talk about. But if I if I could ask first, how was that first experience when you were representing the global shapers community, uh, and before the interview call, etc., came on, and your first time at the forum at, da at Davos? How was that sort of you know walking in there? How how was that experience like? Uh, it was very intimidating. I'm going to be very honest. Again, yeah. like when when you when you go into a space like that, and you are a you know young Australian, you are. I mean, even just to say, like, you're from a minority background, you don't necessarily come from, let's say, a upper class background. So you go in there and into a space that really brings out all of your own class anxieties, racial anxieties, all into the one, um, into the one meeting space. So I think for me, it was incredibly intimidating. Yes. I tried to take it with uh, as much stride as I could, but the reality, honestly, was that I certainly felt out of my depths. <laughs> 
sure. I think my imposter syndrome was really, really working itself up that those uh, few days. Yes. But, um, you know, I think, again, like all things are lessons. So I can look back and say, not only did I create a professional intervention in my life, but I think it was one of many steps to come of places where I felt really, really out of my depths. Yes. Not because I didn't have the ideas or wasn't able to communicate or hold myself, but really because I was holding on to too much of the anxieties that had weighed me down just from my own personal experiences, whether that be from, you know, not necessarily coming from the wealthiest background, not necessarily coming from, you know, what is typical of power spaces in at least a European context, which is white upper class um, Eurocentric kind of culture, which I, I didn't represent any of that. So to me, I was just sure. an oddity in many ways. Yes. So I think that was probably my kind of experience from that. But again, like I, I'm glad that I did it. I'm glad that I was able to take what I could from that experience. And I, honestly, I learned a lot from that and all of what came from it too. So no regrets. Awesome. Thank you. And thanks for uh, talking to us about that. That's, that's really great to hear. And I think there's a lot that uh, our listeners will get, take out of that as well to take that leap of faith uh, sometimes and actually plunge into something as opposed to holding themselves back. You, Curtin's young alumni, are emerging as the next generation of leaders, creators, game changers, innovators and more. So make sure you keep your details up to date with the alumni and community relations team so you don't miss out on exciting news and event information. And always tag Curtin Young Alumni when posting photos and stories on social media. In terms of your, uh, for you growing up or even now, in terms of the work that you've now been inspired to do, because I understand your, your degree at Curtin was in actuarial sciences, but now moving into the professional journey that you've taken on, or were you, mm-hmm. did you have any role models or reference points where you sort of based off them in terms of getting into the work that you're doing? I had mentors along the way. I had the great fortune, even just in Perth, to be able to have people who invested in me, put time in me, one of which is a, I would say, probably the top diversity and inclusion specialist in the country. Her name is Fudzi one day. Okay. Uh, she, she, she gave me so much. She afforded so much attention to me, so much just to even like prep me up, give me, I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times I've spoken to her on the phone just before going to something major. Wow. And I think it always helps if you don't have, let's say, somebody to look up to, to also have somebody by your side yes. um, to be able to say, you can do it, you can push through it, you can take that first uh, step, you can take that leap of faith. And, you know, in many ways, I would, if, I, if I was to be truly honest, I would say she, she was my role model all along. It wasn't necessarily the one that I, that, I, that I saw on TV that I took as a role model. It was really the one kind of beside me who um saw more in me before I did of myself. And I think that is a kind of characteristic which I really aspire to as well. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. So now I was just hoping we could talk a little more about the opportunity that comes with uh working at the World Economic Forum, uh the and the basically the global impact that this opportunity affords you. So could you provide us with some insight into the work that you've been doing with the network of young emerging leaders? Uh, like as you are you still following the hackathon process with them as well? Oh, no. So I, the way it works now is that it's really based around cities. So in major okay. cities across Africa and the Middle East, you'll find about 20 of them, 20 of these uh, global shapers, these emerging young leaders. Yes. And they form chapters or, or what are known as hubs in these respective cities. And 
you know, it's, it's a chance for them to access World Economic Forum events, resources, insights to kind of develop them uh, professionally, but also at the same time to give back to their communities, sure. to give back to the cities in which they, uh, in which they reside. So it's, it's, it's incredibly humbling to see the work that they do, whether it's, you know, you know, a team in one particular city of the continent focused on combating FGM to another one looking at, you know, creating spaces for emerging what? tech. Apologies, uh, what's FGM? Sorry. Uh, so it's female genital mutilation. Sure. Um, so yes. it's a whole host of issues that they work across, whether it yes. be social issues, political issues, economic issues. But again, just it's, it's an amazing group of young people who are shaping their cities. And I mean that literally. Yes. And who will become the next uh, power leaders in their respective countries. So, yeah, I, I always say like being a part of this network is really like going to a uh, top school, except that it doesn't have that same, you know, barrier of access in the beginning. So you will still get that experience of connecting with the top leaders of the world, but you also yes. have that additional value of connecting with them before they become too big. <laughs> so I'm interested uh, to learn in terms of how uh, the students in, in your case, you know, you're looking after Africa and Middle East, how are they brought up from, from how, how is that network built, so to speak, within the East Hubs? Are they, uh, is it, do you reach out to them in terms of schools? How does that happen? The young people in, involved in the network, they're not necessarily, I mean, there are some students, but they're for the most part young professionals. Okay. Um, oh, young and professionals. Okay. Exactly, exactly. So they're like startup founders. Some of them work quite high up in government. Some are ministers. Some are CEOs of different companies. Um, some are media. So, I mean, the spectrum is quite wide in itself. But yeah. really, our first step is to help establish the chapter in the respective city only in the beginning. Then it becomes more of a decentralized network that runs on its own. They sure. recruit the members. They decide their priorities. They determine the kind of scope for growth. And we kind of just only oversee that process from a from a from from a macro lens and so yeah it's it's really only in that beginning formative stage where we help them set the foundations for what could emerge from these kind of networks yes but uh, i think very quickly they're able to you know get the ball running on their own merits and they're able to set their own priorities recruit talent based off of their needs um yeah and just set a strategy around the course they wish uh, to follow to follow Awesome. So yeah, you're setting them up, uh, giving them that sort of uh, initial support, and then they take the lead on it. Precisely, precisely. So we're more just the incubators of these uh, hubs, and then they, yeah, they accelerate the, the hubs um, in perpetuity. So if, if I've got this right, it's similar to uh, how um, so some startup think tanks uh, work. I mean, sort of your, how um, certain programs accelerate startups and entrepreneurs in terms of the initial idea that they have and help them formulate it and then they take it from there. So something similar, but then this is for social causes and for a wider impact for the community. Yeah, and, and, and also just leadership development. It's, it's really nurturing, again, that next generation of leaders. Yes. So yeah, it's, it's not just the, the initiatives that they roll out to their communities and yes. in, their, in their respective cities. Some of which, by the way, as an example, like one chapter was able to, uh, you know, lobby their government to have the first uh, visa Africa policy, which means that, you know, they eventually made their country the first in the continent to basically waiver any form of visa requirements uh, for any African national that wants to travel to that country, set up business in that country, really trying to promote this idea of free trade and the Amazing. free mobility of, 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 of Africans. Yeah, under this celebration of Pan-Africanism. So, yes. I mean, they work on like very systemic issues at times too. And yes, that's one aspect, the kind of work that they do for their communities, but we're also incubating them as individuals, you know, so that 
you know, they have the right kind of values, direction, outlook on life so that when they do end up becoming, and I've already seen examples of this, the, the next ministers, the next prime ministers, the next um, CEOs of the big companies, yes. they don't just run into these, uh, into these spaces and just kind of like continue as business as usual. Yes. Because uh, business as usual very much is the problem, but they really hopefully will bring in a new set of outlook, new set of values and just, yeah, they're able to operate these big systems more inclusively. Sure. I understand. And I was just wanted to talk to you a little more about if you had any, the most, I mean, I understand you'd be working across many social causes and projects. So any particular projects that you're particularly passionate about and passionate about and close to? I have a regional focus on African Middle East, but I also have sure. a global mandate as it relates to the future of education and future of employment. Yes. Uh, and I think one project right now, which is, you know, it's still in its early stages, but I'm, I'm really enjoying even just working on it, is a project called Courageous Conversations About Work. Okay. And sure. really it's about, um, you know, when most people think of future of work, they think of technology, they think of automation, they think of, I don't know, coding uh, or whatever kind of tech skill that comes to mind. But the reality is, you know, if you think of it, as we become more automated, there, there is a very likely risk uh, down the track that we'll have far fewer jobs than we could possibly ever accommodate for the larger supply of people in this world. Sure. And at the same time, we also know that majority of the jobs that have come out you know, in the last 20 years are really what are known as like part-time contract, gig economy kind of jobs, which really don't afford much you know, social mobility or like worker security. Yes. So I think Courageous Conversations about work for us is really trying to say future work, we shouldn't just talk about the tech that's coming, but we should also talk about the decline in unionized work um, sure. and, and how that will likely also shape the future of work. So I think it's, 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 it's exactly where the thought leadership around future of work is going around the world. Yes. Uh, to think more about the union aspect to, to work and not just the uh, technicalities of the skills required. And I, I'm excited that our network is really at the forefront of that too. So awesome. more to come. That's great. That's great. Abdullahi, so what are your future plans? What's your uh, future plans for yourself or work-wise or future horizons? What's that? How's that looking for you? You know, I, I, I'm, not that, I'm not that guy, honestly, who comes to a five-year career plan or, <laughs> or anything of this sort. I wish no. I was that organized, but I, I certainly can't plan that far out. Yeah. But there, but there are certain things which I'd really like to see more of. And I don't know if it'll be me who does that or whether I'd like to support people who, who, who do that. But I really do think we need to diversify public leadership, number one. I think yes. when you think of a country like Australia and just to think of the abysmal representation of black and brown communities uh, in positions of uh, public leadership. So whether they are MPs at the federal level, at the state level, whether they, you know, the governors, the mayor, so on and so forth. Yes. I think the most powerful institution for social change, I, I really do believe this is government. And sure. we need more people from diverse communities represented in that institution, which is supposed to reflect the collective mandate of people. Yes. I would love to see more of that. I would love to see more progressive people running for office. Um, yeah, I just, I just think that where we are right now, there's quite a bland, stagnant uh, environment that doesn't necessarily welcome as many voices from new, new and emerging communities, but also our First Nations as well. And I think, sure. you know, I'd like to see a lot more of that. I, I, I really, really do. I would like to see us become more uh, representative of the communities we serve. And so that, that's, that's one thing that I'd like to see more of. I don't know if I'll be directly involved in that or if I can potentially support 
yes. an organization involved in that too. So maybe if somebody's listening and they're working on that, I'd love to kind of even get in contact with them. Sure. Um, so, so, so I think that would be one. And I think maybe just broadly speaking, I'm now at a stage in my, in my own thinking that I only want to focus on systemic solutions or systemic problems even, let's say. Sure. I don't want to focus on, you know, working with organizations that aren't ready to take a systemic approach to solving some of these big issues around the world. Um, sure. And so I, I don't care about the industry. I don't care if it's, you know, you're working in, in, in food security, if you're working in, in healthcare, if you're, if you're working in, I mean, you, you name the sector, as long as you're willing to say, this is the problem at its systemic uh, uh, root. These, yes. are the, these are the problems that we face. And I'm willing to put in resources to help solve these systemic issues. I'm definitely going to be behind that. Sure. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking for that quality in, in, let's say, my next employer or my next cause, more so than just like, you know, I, I want to work in this sector. I want to work in this space. And I think I'd also, if anybody's listening to this and has the privilege to also think in the way that I do, which I, I really do mean that it's a privilege to have a job and to be able to think in this kind of way for your future. Yes. I, I honestly say the same thing. I think very clearly about what it is that you really, really want to, out of a future employer or like even your future version of self and, yes. and, and, and strive for that because anything less is just, yeah, I, I think you'll just waste more and more time trying to get to where you actually want. So come to that realization now. Awesome. This is a really good segue for my, the, the, the next and final part. Uh, but I think we've covered quite a bit and you've given amazing insight and advice and wisdom to our listeners. So we usually like to finish our episodes with a bit of advice uh, or wisdom for the listeners. So apart from anything that you've shared uh, so far, is there something, last words that you'd like to share as advice for the young alumni community? Yeah, I, I would say, look, um, First of all, get a, a strong group of friends. Honestly, those who are able to push you, those who are able to help you laugh at the mistakes that you might make along the way, those who help you not to take yourself too seriously, um, those who constantly push you to, to really get to you know, the best version of you. Like, I really think that was one of the great things and, and assets that I had um, over the last, let's say, you know, five, six years. Yes. And if there's any way in which you can engineer that experience for yourself, whether it means going to certain events or finding ways to, you know, go into, even if it's virtual events in today's world, yes. to just to kind of bump into the right people. I always say like create that circle first. Yes. Um, at the same time, like uh, I say, don't rush. You're in it for the long run. Yes. Uh, there's nothing that tells you that you need to be an overnight success tomorrow. Your overnight success could happen when you're in your 30s, your 40s. And, you know, in, in many ways, if you are the kind of person now who's, you know, stepped out of employment, now you're running your own initiative, for example, which there are a lot more uh, examples of this too. Yes. You know, you will find that you are very much ahead of the curve with the business or initiative that you're focusing on you know, the market might not necessarily have caught up or maybe others might not see the social issue you're trying to solve to the extent that it is, you know, and, and really being at the front, be honest with yourself, it's a very lonely experience. It's, 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 uh, it's a tough one. So yes. really make sure you have that core grip around you that can help you prioritize your well-being. But just know that your overnight success will happen and it doesn't necessarily happen, have to happen tomorrow. And once you're able to kind of separate yourself from that, the anxiety that comes with having to solve everything by tomorrow, have everything sorted by the age of 30 or, or 40 or whatever the kind of abstract goal you have in your mind. 
Yes. Once you're able to kind of rid yourself of those fears and anxieties, honestly, you will just begin to appreciate life in, in a much different way. So uh, that, that would be my parting set of advice. Thank you. That's, that's awesome advice. Just, yeah, just to be mindful that there's, there's no ticking clock. You can do things on your own time. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Abdullahi. Uh, on that note, I reckon this would be a great place for us to wrap up for today. Thank you so much, Abdullahi, for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you, Milan. Thank you so much. And uh, most importantly, thank you to the listeners for listening. And remember, the conversation doesn't stop here. The purpose of the Talks for Change podcast series is to not only hear about the incredible work our fellow alumni are doing, but also to get us inspired and connected to keep creating real change in the world. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to like the Curtin Young Alumni Facebook page and follow us on LinkedIn. And we'll catch you on the next one. If you think that you or another Curtin graduate under 35 has an amazing story to tell or are interested in being part of Talks for Change, drop us a line at youngalumni at curtain.edu.au.